Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Thursday, May 21st, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and we are going to continue our NFL coverage today from a DFS perspective with the Indianapolis Colts. And as fun as it is to be joined by Santino Cocon, <laughs> we are talking about the no fun, no luck Indianapolis Colts of last year. Santino, great to have you on today. How are you? Doing well. Uh, great to be here. Uh, it's getting beautiful out. The weather's getting beautiful out. Uh, we're seeing more talk of maybe moving closer to sports resuming. So um, things are looking up. That's right. That's that's some fun talk right there for sure. But getting back to the Colts of last year, it was no <laughs> luck and no fun because Andrew Luck popped that surprise retirement on the Colts and everybody else right before the season started. And then Devin Funchess who the Colts invested $13 million in on a one-year deal, lasted all of one game. He contributed three catches and 32 yards before he went out with a broken collarbone. So uh, that made it tough on Jacoby Brissett, and the Colts could just never recover last year. Yeah, uh, to, to lose luck the way they did right as they were preparing for week one, uh, it came out of nowhere. I know personally— in our fantasy draft, we we did it the day he retired. So about an hour after the draft, we were all hanging around, and then someone said Andrew Luck retired, and we all thought it was a joke. And then we checked our phones, and everybody checked it and pulled it up, and he actually retired. I think it was August 26th, and the first game was the 4th of September. So he gave them, uh, unless they knew ahead of time, and, and we didn't, um, but you didn't really have any time to react. Jacoby Brissett had to get thrown into the fire. Uh, kudos for this team to finish 7-9 and nine the way they did with no Andrew Luck and with the injuries that piled up. You mentioned their big offseason acquisition. Devin Funches played one game. Um, we'll get to more injuries, but Brissett played through injuries most or for four or five games with that high ankle sprain. Uh, Brian Horrier started a game. You never want to see that happen. Uh, T.Y. Hilton played half a season. Uh, they were just beat up a lot. But the one constant to this team was their offensive line, which wasn't a thing when Andrew Luck was healthy. They had one of the league's worst offensive lines. But last year, they looked like a top five offensive line. Everybody was healthy on that line. And they return everybody again this year. And Quentin Nelson leading the group uh, first two years in the league. He looks like the best left guard in the league. Um, and I'm excited to see what they can do this year. Yeah, I am too. Should be a lot more fun this year for the Colts. And we have a lot of fun here at DFS Coach Talk, and we just got our new polos in, so that's fun. <laughs> We've got those on. If you're just listening, join us on YouTube. We we put our daily podcasts up on YouTube now every day with the video. And uh, check us out at DFSCoachTalk.com. We cover the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. And we're also giving out free advice right now to our members in the KBO. So uh, jump in with one of our memberships, weekly, yearly, or monthly, uh, three options there. But none of them will um, really be uh, active. Uh, they're frozen until we get one of these sports back in the U.S. So uh, that's who we are, and we are continuing our 32-day virtual tour of the NFL as we continue through the AFC South. We managed to get through the Jacksonville Jaguars episode <laughs> yesterday, and <laughs> Now we get to transition to the Colts and a little bit more explosive offense. And let's talk about the transition here because last year uh, they ended up 30th in passing 
in terms of yardage, certainly they would not have predicted that in early August as they expected Andrew Luck to be back. Uh, they were better on the ground despite their injuries. They were seventh in rushing yardage with over 2,000 yards, and they were 10th in rushing touchdowns, thanks to Marlon Mack leading the way. Um, but Frank Reich gets a more experienced quarterback now in Phillip Rivers. So how do you see the general offensive outlook for the Colts in 2020? Uh, yeah, last year they were top 10 pretty much in everything rushing and bottom 10 in pretty much everything passing, uh, which makes sense when, as we mentioned, uh, Andrew Luck abruptly retired right before the season started. Uh, and you have a very capable back in Marlon Mack, and that offensive line was great. But um, I see a little bit more up in the passing. I, I think they're going to improve there as long as Rivers still has something left in the tank. Uh, we'll get to him in a moment, but he's going to be 39 in September or December. So it's it's a question of how much does Philip Rivers have because he did look lost at times last year. Um, but it has to be a little bit better than what Brissett and Brian Hoyer gave them last year anyway, even at his worst. But this this team to me is going to be built on defense. Uh, they made a ton of offseason acquisitions, and they were pretty good against the run last year, and the rushing attack. They're, they were top 10 in rushing offense last year, and they only got better adding one of the most prolific college uh, rushers out there. So I think it's going to be a run them run down, grinded out team who wants to control the ball, run down people's throats, switch in, in between multiple different running backs, and then uh, play hard-nosed defense and get to the quarterback. Well, let's talk about that defense, uh, Santino. They were below average against the pass, but well above average against the run, seventh in rushing yardage allowed, and they only gave up eight touchdowns on the ground, which was third in the league, 4.1 yards per carry. So uh, really solid there, and they made some big changes also, trading their first-round draft pick to the 49ers for DeForest Buckner. So what's your general outlook for the defense this year? Yeah, so on the ground, they didn't really give up too many big plays. They were uh, top half the league in, in big plays given up, which is good, and even in the, in the air. Uh, but, yeah, for, for pass yards, they, they did give up a lot, and they did they added two people. They added TJ Carey, who's probably going to start either at in the slot or on the outside, and their big guy, Xavier Rhodes, who's going to start from day one. Um, those two and Kenny Moore should give him a very good one, two, three out there. Uh, and then you mentioned DeForest Buckner. They traded their first round pick for a guy who would have been a top pick this year if he was actually in the draft. Uh, DeForest Buckner's a stud. Um, unfortunately, the Niners couldn't couldn't pay him. They couldn't they didn't know Joe Staley was going to retire and they didn't have the money to pay him uh, and what he wanted. So they got a first round for him. And those two those three guys alone are going to be a huge addition to this defense that was already good. And then they added Sheldon Ray as well, another uh, depth guy on the defensive line. Uh, so this team got their weakness was their cornerback situation and giving up a lot of uh, yards through the ear. But they they addressed that with two guys who are probably going to start at corner, and then they added a, a superstar defensive lineman in there to help a 15. Who they were 15th in the league in um, sacks last year. Uh, so DeForest Buckner is going to help out there. The one big guy that they lost on, well, two guys that they lost on defense that are are pretty big. Um, Jabal Sheard, probably their biggest guy that they lost defensive end. And they did lose Pierre Desir at cornerback, but they replaced him with guys who are better than him. Yeah, and they need uh, they need guys that can get to the quarterback. They got a tough division with uh, Deshaun Watson and Tannehill. I think it's going to be a real battle 
uh, to try to win that AFC South with Houston, Tennessee, and Indianapolis. So um, important offseason for the Colts to try to retool. And let's jump into uh, the real splash here of the offseason as they signed Phillip Rivers. One-year deal, but they, both sides have talked about how if all goes well, they'll extend it for a, another year after that. Uh, Philip Rivers is on the verge of hitting 60,000 passing yards and 400 touchdowns. What do you think he's got left in the tank for for this fall? Um, so to me, Philip Rivers is the guy that's going to either drown this team or bring them to what I think is a AFC championship type team. Uh, I guess that's a bold take right here, but if I had to pick one team that people aren't talking about to make the Super Bowl or AFC championship game, it is this team here. I think they will win the division. I think they are better than the Texans who lost their best player. I think they are better than the Titans who played above um, where they did last year. Uh, but it all comes down to Phillip Rivers, who I, who he said is going to be 39 in December this year. So how much does he have left in the tank? He looked really bad last year. His arm looked cooked. Uh, some of his throws were just very wobbly. His decisions were very bad. Uh, he threw 20 interceptions. He had 23 touchdowns. Uh, he had eight fumbles, total fumbles, whether they were lost or not. Uh, he did throw almost 600 times, and he had a 66% completion percentage because he does like to check down a lot. He uses his tight ends, his running backs, and he had 4,615 4, yards. Um, but we got to see how much, what he has left because if it was the decision-making he was making last year and those wobbly throws, this team won't be where I think they could be. But the he does have – he. Played for Frank Rich before. He he has familiarity with him. Um, a better O line than he had in the in San Diego or San Diego slash L A. Uh, better, definitely better run game because this team was very productive last year. But does he have a little more left in the tank? Can he make this last run? He's the most the farthest he's ever been was to the AFC Championship game that one year when him and LT were uh, were great on offense. But can he repeat that? And if he can, this team could go really far. Isn't it funny when you talk about Philip Rivers and you can, can you can connect him to LT, who seems like he played a generation ago? And that's because that's because Philip Rivers has played every game since 2006. Uh, he's just been amazing in terms of his durability, and maybe that's why his arm was so tired. He's played all those years, you know, throwing almost 600 600 times last year. The guy just doesn't have anything left. But um, you know, he certainly um, has the experience. And he's smart enough to check down, like you said, use the tight ends, use the running backs. I think Frank Reich is going to put him in a good position. And they've got he, he's going to have weapons all around him yeah. that he can trust. So I think it's about as good of a position he can be in, uh, you know, as a free agent switching teams. But in, in terms of his DFS um, profile, you know, for me, he's really more of a cash game option. Um Last year, he didn't have any games over 30 fantasy points, but he was pretty consistent. Uh, and based on his price, more than half the time he paid off value at, at 3x or more. So, uh, again, not a guy that I'm going to play in a GPP looking for a ceiling necessarily. Uh, you know, Maybe that'll change here if this offense really gets clicking, but uh, a cash game option for me. Yeah, now, I, I think I think that makes more what you cash game makes more sense because uh this team wants to run the ball if they get 
ahead in the game and they had the lead, they want to drain out that clock and they have so many options to do so. They don't need to have Philip Rivers throw 600 times again. Uh, he does have great weapons, as you mentioned, and we'll get to those in a moment. But um, I'm more inclined to play the weapons without pairing them up with Rivers than I would want to pair him up with them. Okay. Now, the other good thing here about Philip Rivers coming to town is there's going to be some good chemistry in that quarterback room. Both Philip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett, obviously graduates of NC State. So uh, that's the prerequisite there to get uh, in that quarterback room. And Brissett, to me, um, he's an above average backup, but just hasn't quite put it together as a starter. Uh, he's now 12 and 20 in his career uh, as a starter. Uh, and Santino, you mentioned the, you know, the ankle injury that was hobbling him last year. Um, and that, you know, that really interfered with his upside. Yeah, actually, he was actually having a really good season before that injury happened. Uh, they were over 500. He finished seven and eight as a quarterback. And when he started, uh, but they were playing really good ball before that. And then they, he got hurt and then the Titans caught him and then the Titans made it to the AFC championship game. Uh, but Brissett overall played played in 15 games. He had 18 touchdowns, six interceptions, uh, a little under 3,000 yards. He had another 230 yards on the ground with four four touchdowns. Uh, he got he he just didn't have the time. He didn't. I don't know if he knew he was going to be the starting quarterback from day one when it happened. He got pretty much thrown into the fire when Andrew Luck abruptly retired, um, and it was his second year doing that, replacing Andrew Luck. He had a little bit better of a season than the first year. But I think he's a competent, capable quarterback for a team if you have to play him. Um, he, he knows how to manage games. He knows how to get wins. He knows how to move the ball. But he is not a superstar-level talent, and he's not a guy that I really want to target on DFS unless I know he's starting and um, he's just so much cheaper than everybody else that I can pay up at other positions. Yeah, and he, he was one of those classic, you know, follow the pattern of, you know, very strong games against the weak passing defenses like Houston. You know, he excelled in certain weeks, uh, but just across the board, you know, he wasn't getting it done in terms of upside. Um, now, the Colts did draft another quarterback, Jacob Eason, in the fourth round out of Washington. And he had solid numbers, uh, over 3,000 yards, 23 touchdowns to eight picks. And uh, yeah, I, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I guess one of the knocks on him is that he, he hasn't been strong when he's faced a lot of pressure. Uh, but great situation to learn from Rivers you know, in case they need him down the road. Now, uh, Santino, I want to transition to the running backs here. And I've got a big uh, season-long question for you. you. You know, we focus here on DFS but you and Micah Patria, you talk often about your season-long league. And for me, I've got this unique league where for running backs, you get 0.25 points every time they carry the ball. And it's only a half-point PPR league. So the running backs are extremely valuable. We get to keep two of them. And I was planning on Marlon Mack being one of my guys. But I'm a little bit concerned about Jonathan Taylor coming in here as a second round draft pick out of Wisconsin. So um, the question for you is, can I, can I safely assume that Marlon Mack is going to be the early down back here for the first half of the season? And, and should I, should I keep him in this two keeper league? And the only answer you can give me is yes, but, but go ahead. Uh, yes. 
(laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's very interesting because a month ago, I would have said, I really, just like last year, people were like, really like Marlon Mack, but he didn't bust up into that upper echelon yet. Top 12, top 10 guy. Uh, I thought he was going to do that this year. Jonathan Taylor really puts a little damper on that. But again, Marlon Mack's been injured a lot throughout his career. And even when he's played, he's played through injuries. So to me, Jonathan Taylor, who was one of the most productive backs in college history, um, over about he averaged over 2,000 yards for three years straight rushing. Um, and uh, he, was a, he was a workhorse with over 320 touches each year. That's a question mark going into the NFL. You don't really want to see a guy getting that massive workload and then get into the league. Um, look at like Monte Ball and people like that. When they get such a heavy workload, you don't want that as a running back. You'd rather have that lighter workload so there's not there's less wear and tear on those knees and thighs and everything. Uh, but Marlon Mack, to me, I still think he's going to be the lead dog in this. Uh, I know Jonathan Taylor, they spend a second round pick on him, but I think Marlon Mack has shown great burst. He's averaged 4.4 yards a carry last year, uh, 500 yards after contact. He doesn't work much in the passing game, but that's fine. Uh, you have Naheem Hines, who we'll get to. But I think this is more to keep Marlon Mack healthy for the whole season and get him his touches and effective touches so he's not battling those nagging injuries. And if for some reason he does get hurt again or he does battle those injuries, you do have a guy, Jonathan Taylor, kind of like Jonathan Williams, who stepped in last year for that feature role. You have Jonathan Taylor who can get inserted right into that feature role and in the meantime he'll mix and match and um be a change of pace guy to keep him healthy all right i think i can live with that answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i uh i think with max experience you know i think he'll get the first crack at it um the problem with dfs though is they just didn't use him much out of the backfield through the air he only got 14 receptions in 14 games they relied heavily on him to run, and he was good there. He got over 1,000 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, another one of these guys that was a little bit too expensive in tournaments uh, to really pay off. He only had 300-yard games, one game with two touchdowns. So uh, just didn't quite have the ceiling uh, that, that you look for. And that's the problem with this offense is, they rely heavily on guys like Naheem Hines to come in there and pat and, and catch the passes. So uh, for Mac, uh, wait and see for me as much as I like him. Um, you know, unless he's lower than that 7K price tag that he finished up at, um, I probably won't invest in him too much in tournaments. Jonathan Taylor, I agree with you. I mean, the Colts were, you know, I guess they, they didn't know they would have him. But in hindsight, they would say, guys, you don't need to get this guy 6,000 yards in college. Like, let's save some <laughs> wear and tear for the NFL. It's, um, it's a pretty physical league. And uh, 50 touchdowns on the ground in three years. Uh, I guess the knock on Taylor is 17 fumbles in those three years. So that'll be one thing that if, if, he, if he shows in the preseason that he's going to fumble – or if he does get a chance early in the season and he fumbles, I don't think Frank Reich would hesitate to put him on the bench and, and bury him and, and have Mac out there for the majority of the snaps. Yeah. Because Mac, Mac has shown an ability to get in the end zone as well. He's, he's shown he's a really good running back the last two years when he's on the field. Uh, but uh, I, I, what you said, he's, he's going to be up there in pricing. So it's kind of hard to, always target him knowing this, but I think this team wants to run the ball. And if they get the lead, 
they're just going to he's going to see his 15 to 20 carries if he if he's on the field. Oh. Did I lose you? Yes. Oh. I'm back now. <laughs> All right. So, uh, are we ready for Naheem Hines? Yeah, let's go straight to Hines. I think uh, the one thing we can probably agree on is that he'll be out there a bunch on third down, catching the majority of the passes. Yeah, uh, he is their prototypical third down back. Unfortunately, Mac wasn't used last year. I don't see Jonathan Taylor being used as their third, third down back. This guy is a great pass catcher. He had, uh, in his two years in the league, he has 137 total carries and 139 total targets. So you, you know what his role is when he's out there. And Phillip Rivers likes to throw to his, his running backs. He likes to throw to his tight ends. He, he checks down a lot. So Hines does have value in this backfield, even though it is loaded. Um, but it depends on the matchup. Because if, if it's a more run-dominated team, if they're going up against the Jaguars and they can just run down their throat, there is no need for a, a Hines to be really used that much. So it all depends on the matchup. If you see a shootout where they're going to have to do a lot of pass situations, Hines will be on the field more. Um, if Mac gets hurt or Taylor gets hurt, his playing time will go up a little bit more as well. But he's someone that I want to only look at in certain matchups. And even then, uh, it's very hesitant because his role is not huge. Yeah, and, and despite the fact that he piled up 44 catches, it was pretty consistent. It was mostly three catches here, four catches there. Um, he did have four games of at least 10 fantasy points, but based on his price, he only hit value at that 3x level once out of 16 games. Now, here's the flip side to that uh, with Philip Rivers in town. Listen to this quote from Frank Reich this offseason. He said, Philip has an uncanny ability to get the ball to the backs. Naheem will be very much integrated into the game plan on all three downs. Still enough snaps for him to be very, very productive this year. Very productive. So <laughs> that's a nice okay. endorsement for Hines, you know, getting a, getting a bigger piece of the pie here. He only had 32% of the snaps last year. But again, it's one more reason to be concerned about Mack and Taylor. Um, if Frank Reich is this high on Hines and he's going to start giving him more carries and disrupt that balance that you talked about last year, which really was all about targets, then, you know, that's one more knock on Mac and Taylor. Yeah. So the the way that you said that for all three downs uh, is very telling. And if that's something that we're going to see more of Hines there, I don't think it hurts Mac as much. I think he's going to get his. I think it hurts Taylor if Hines gets more playing time. Uh, if they need to pass the ball to Mac, he will get some hands to just make sure he can play out to see the field. But I think that's more indicative to uh, hurt Taylor's value if Hines sees an uptick. And it only helps Hines, as as we've been saying. Phillip Rivers loves his quarterback, Frank, or running backs. Reich knows this, um, and Hines is one of the better route-running running backs, and he has really good hands for a running back. So um, maybe he's the next Danny Woodhead. Maybe he's the next Austin Eklar or some type of version of that. Yeah, that would be terrific for his value if he is. So let's get to the uh, the other pass catchers, the wide receivers and the tight ends. And we've got T.Y. Hilton, who leads the group. But as you mentioned, he only played 10 games last year. And if the Colts are going to make it to the AFC Championship game, as you've predicted, they're going to need Hilton to play more than 10 games. Yeah. Uh, last year was his worst year. 
uh, from a stand, production standpoint and a health standpoint. He only played 10 games. He did have five touchdowns in those 10 games and 500 yards. Uh, with all those, with Jacoby Brissett being hurt and not really, Brissett only had three less than 3,000 yards in the air anyway, and Brian Harris started the other game. Um, so there really wasn't much production to go around. So I guess you can just chalk that up to a, a very bad year. He thought he was getting Andrew Luck back again, who he just bounced back with 1,200 yards in 2018. Um, but he is – this guy is one of the better receivers in the league for the last 5, 10 years or so. Uh, I expect if he's healthy to see a pretty big bounce back. He has a better quarterback in here. I don't think this team, like I've been saying, is going to be a pass-first offense – but he should be that number one target on this team if if it is if they have to pass the ball and he he had his most five touchdowns last year if he played a full season that would have been his most touchdowns on the in his career he would have had eight um, I still like him to get over a thousand yards uh, probably seventy to eighty catches and we'll see if he can translate that touchdown percentage again this year yeah. For those who don't know Santino, he is the MVP of DFS Coach Talk in terms of projections, uh, pro rata projections for the whole season, which is great. <laughs> I love it. And, it, you know, it's funny because that's the stat that jumped out at me. T.Y. Hilton's career high in, in touchdown receptions is seven. And you're right. He was finally on pace to exceed that. Uh, and, you know, maybe he'll be able to do that um this year but man just just so frustrating he had 28.7 points in the first week that was his ceiling and down the stretch after week seven he only had 13 receptions because of those injuries so he's got to be healthy just like Brissett, even though he was he played in 10 games a lot of those back half of the games he was playing through very bad injuries um so it's i i chalk those up to just unfortunate injuries bad luck and clean slate this year well, another guy looking for a clean slate is Paris Campbell, and he was the second-round draft pick last year. Uh, this guy's a real speedster. He hails from Ohio. He went to St. Vincent, St. Mary, a little high school some folks may have heard of, thanks to LeBron James. And <laughs> those two have actually become friends. LeBron, one of his supporters from afar. Uh, we know that LeBron's into football. Uh, but Paris Campbell has a ways to go if he's going to match LeBron's career. Uh, despite the early hype, he only played seven games last year, and he was hit with more injuries than, uh, <laughs> you know, some teams. He had a he dealt with a hamstring injury, a sports hernia, a broken hand, and a broken foot. Yeah, he was he was beat up, unfortunately, uh, as is the theme a little bit as as we started already. Uh, the fact that they won seven games is is incredible. Uh, but Paris Campbell to me is the most explosive guy on this team this most explosive explosive that that word's uh, eluding me right now <laughs> explosive playmaker on this team with legit track speed i know we've you people use that phrase a lot but he is a legit track star in high school he was breaking records he he, he did it in ohio state as well um but if this guy sees single coverage which he should and he, he's either going to be playing on the outside or the slot he's going to burn people and i i don't think it's too far-fetched to say he might overtake T.Y. Hilton if T.Y. Hilton uh, doesn't look healthy this year. I think 1,000 yards is very approachable for this guy. Uh, Philip Rivers should throw 4,000 even in a conservative offense. And this this is, to me, the guy that I want to throw GPP darts at all the time because he's one 
one play away from breaking it in, breaking a long touchdown, and that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and there's not many people that can keep up with his speed. Well, I love that bold prediction. Uh, <laughs> definitely he'll be a sleeper um, if if folks aren't thinking of him in that 1,000-yard category. And I would, I would think that most people would not make that prediction. But you're right. Uh, he's got that similar speed to Hilton, but, of course, Hilton's 30 years old now. So uh, Campbell could certainly be the guy they turn to to rely on that youth and speed. And, uh, you know, his – he, even his rookie year was really trending up from one to three to five catches. And then week four after that is when he started dealing with the injuries. So, you know, he was off to a good start for a rookie. And I agree. I think they're going to be expecting big things from him. Now, as for the next slot in the wide receiver group, I'm going to ask you who you think will be more likely to be out on the field. Is it the Zach Pascal who's returning or is it Michael Pittman Jr.? the second round draft pick out of USC. Uh, so this is all in a actual or without all this going on, I would say Michael Pittman in a second should be um, on the outside, but I don't know how much time he's going to have to integrate into the offense. Does he even have the playbook yet? It's so this, this whole situation is so different. So I'm not hundred percent sure, but on a talent standpoint, it should be Michael Pittman. Uh, this is the biggest guy that they have on their team at 6'4", 225. Uh, he's just a massive dude. He's going to be a big red zone target for them. Uh, last year, he had 1,275 12, 12, yards and 101 receptions for 11 touchdowns as well. Um, he's not a big play guy. He's more of a possession-type receiver, different from a Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton, which they desperately need if those two guys are making big plays uh, but he'll create separation over the middle and Philip Rivers likes people who can create separation over the middle so I think it should be him but we'll see if he has enough time to integrate into the offense and then if he doesn't they'll have to go with the veteran Zach Pascal who found his way into number one receiver role last year wasn't too bad some games um, but I don't think he's super talented enough to want me to play him when everybody's healthy yeah, I agree. It's more about the opportunity, who else is healthy. And uh, Pittman, that will be his unique trait on this team, his size and strength. Uh, not a burner down the field. He is quick off the, the first step, though. In the 10-yard split, he was 1.51 at the combine, which was the 96th percentile. Wow. Also, <laughs> fantastic hands. In 176 catchable balls in college, he only dropped five. So... Uh, that's certainly a trait that will earn him early playing time. And then with uh, Zach Pascal, like you said, uh, almost ended up with the team lead in receptions. He got 41. Uh, he did lead the team in receiving yardage with 607 with all those injuries. Got in the end zone five times and had two games over 20 and one over 30. So, you know, he showed the potential to pay off value. Um on the season, he paid off value five times out of 16. Um, but, you know, he's not known for his speed, not as big and strong as Pittman. So I agree. If, if Pittman can pick up the playbook, then Pascal is probably going to be on the outside looking in. And then the Colts also drafted Desmond Patman in the sixth round, who is almost a clone to Pittman in terms of size. He's also 6'4", 225. And in his last two years at Washington State, he averaged about 60 catches for 800 yards and six and a half touchdowns. 
slightly faster than Pittman with a 4.48. Um, but coming in as a bit of an underdog as that sixth rounder, um, I liked his tape actually almost as much as Pittman. I, I really liked, uh, you know, his hands, some of the uh, tough catches he made, the 50-50 balls. So there's a guy that, you know, at least we can look at in the preseason maybe if there is a preseason this year uh, for some uh, DFS play in uh, late August, early September. Yeah. Now, Santino, you've mentioned a couple times how uh, Mr. Rivers likes to rely on his tight ends, and he's waltzing into a situation with a terrific veteran. It's Jack Doyle, mm-hmm. backed up by Trey Burton. Uh, so talk to me about Jack Doyle this season. Um, yeah, Jack Doyle is a, a pro bowler 2019 or last year and in 2017. Injuries plagued him 2018. Um, but last year, 72 targets, 43 catches, uh, 448 yards, four touchdowns. His highest yards per reception at 10.4 in his career. Uh, not amazing numbers, but... Good for a tight end, and they just lost uh, their pass-catching tight end guy in Eric, Eric Ebron. Ebron, and yep. he's no longer there. So he, when you downgrade from Eric Ebron to Trey Burton, you you should see a lot more playing time. Um, and then now you have Philip Rivers here who, I mean, he did have Antonio Gates, <laughs> and then he transitioned from Gates to Hunter Henry. So uh, obviously you're going to target Gates all the time. But Jack Doyle is probably their most reliable red zone option at the moment. We don't know if Pittman or uh, Patman, <laughs> Pittman and Patman, uh, how, how <laughs> successful they'll be in their rookie year as in terms of red zone efficiency. Uh, but Jack Doyle has been a good red zone target for Andrew Luck uh, the last few years when they were playing together. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and Colts run a lot of two tight end looks. Uh, Jack Doyle, even with playing behind Eric Ebron, he played 80% or more of the snaps uh, in just three games, but he never played under 60% of the snaps. He's always played in that 60 to 70 range. Uh, so he's a reliable guy, and he is among the top 10 tight ends without Eric Ebron there anymore. And the one thing that I was thinking about um, in terms of the two tight end sets that they do, the Colts do like to run, they also signed a guy, Roosevelt Nix, for a fullback position this year. Uh, he was from Pittsburgh. They didn't have a fullback last year, so I don't know. I think that I think they're going to start running the ball a lot more and maybe instead of two tight end sets, they have more of a traditional fullback and take out one of those tight ends that would hurt Trey Burton more than it would Jack Doyle. Yeah, I agree. I think Burton is there as more of a, more of a backup insurance policy. Uh, in December, they, uh, they signed Jack Doyle to a three year extension for 21 million. So uh, he's certainly their guy. And that was a huge departure with Ebron because last year he got 31 passes for 375 and three scores. You know, if if Jack Doyle can pick up even half of that production, you know, then you're looking at a, a real strong season. One of those tight ends that's a little bit cheaper. He ranged in that 3K to 4.5K range last year on DraftKings. And as, as I was mentioning with Shane, uh, I like to build lineups with two tight ends, especially with one of these cheaper ones. And... We just need a little bit more volume out of him. You know, 43 yeah. catches isn't quite enough. Um, you know, you can get four for 40 in a touchdown, great. But, you know, I'd rather see six for 60 in a touchdown. Uh, and I, I do think he can hit those numbers. With Trey Burton, um, they just signed him to a one-year deal in April. So 
got the veteran backup. Um, he was terrible last year. Uh, after a, a strong year in 2018 when he caught 54 for 569 and six touchdowns. Last year, he didn't get in the end zone. He only caught 14 passes, played eight games, and then he was injured. And just an absolute mess. And the tight end situation in Chicago is is an embarrassment, which is probably a, a story for another day. But, um, you know, Burton's got talent. Um, and if Doyle is out, I would play Burton. I, yeah. I don't put much stock into those numbers last year in Chicago. That was such a mess. You can't trust Trubisky. Yeah, and, and Burton had five touchdowns in Philly as a minimal player uh, the year before in 2017. So he has shown that he can get into the end zone when he has the playing time. Um, to me, though, I if Doyle's hurt, Burton is a really good call. He's going to be super cheap, and um, he's probably might be the best red zone option after that uh, in terms of pass catchers. But uh, Jack Doyle, to me, if he's if he's there, he's no, he's going to be really cheap as well too because he's not a flashy guy. And even if his production is good, he's just his name is like, oh, Jack Doyle. You don't consider him to be among the top ten tight ends, but he is. And uh, I think with better quarterback play, more efficient off or passing game. He he's going to see those numbers uptick to um, maybe 700 yards this year, and for tight ends, that's that's pretty elite. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, with Philip Rivers, that declining arm strength, he might only be able to reach you know 10, 15 <laughs> yeah. yards down the field to Doyle. So I agree. I think he's going to be a big target in the red zone. So uh, Santino, before we get to the draft talk here, where can everybody find you on Twitter? You can find me at Santino Cocone. That's at S-A-N-T-I-N-O-C-A-C-C-O-N-E. Definitely give Santino a follow. You can also find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. And uh, we thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, please give us a thumbs up wherever you're listening. And uh, we're going to continue to bring you these podcasts seven days a week in front of the paywall. Now, Santino, we've talked a, a, a bit about these offensive weapons that the Colts grabbed in the draft. Um, what else should we know about the 2020 draft class from the Indianapolis Colts? Um, yeah, so the Colts had a ton of draft picks, but obviously they're all not going to be playing this year. A lot of them uh, are more depth and more you just work on their games to, to hopefully be productive in the future. Uh, but one guy that he was drafted in the third round that we didn't quite get to yet um, defensive safety, Julian Blackman uh, from Utah. So Clayton Gaithers, their safety last year, I forgot to mention him on the, the big departures. Uh, their start, he left last year, their strong safety, um, or he left this offseason. So Julian Blackman might walk himself into, again, we don't know because of the whole playbook type thing. Same with Michael Pittman and Patman. This whole thing is just, we don't, there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty going around, but he might walk himself into a starting job and, uh, that's just he he was really good at Utah and he's going to be around in Xavier Rhodes at TJ Carey, uh, a very good, a very improved secondary. So I think he won't have a lot of uh, he, they won't need him to be super productive at first. And he's going to walk into um, having free reign to improve without having to uh, improve too quickly. Excellent. Um, does that wrap it up? Any other big names we should know about? Um, to be honest, not really. They, they, they had some offensive or they picked Danny Pinter out of 
Ball State, but he's just going to be a depth option. Uh, Robert Windsor is going to be a depth option as well at D-tackle. Um, Isaiah Rogers, cornerback, might see the field if in four or five corners, uh, but again, more of a depth option. Uh, most of these guys are going to be depth options at positions that they already have. Um, but one thing that I wanted to touch on who they added, um, Chase McLaughlin, kicker. They The big Adam Vinatieri, kudos, he, he is gone now. He's riding off into the sunset. He did have a really bad year last year. And I don't want to say anything too bad about Vinatieri, especially to a Patriots fan. But he did kind of cost them the playoffs. He missed a lot of field goals and a lot of easy field goals. Um, I know he missed them against Miami, and if he, and they would have beaten us if, if they did that. Um, but they could have made the playoffs if he was more reliable. I know he was what, 43, so he can't hold it against them. But Chase McLaughlin's going to be an improvement on him, and uh, that's some guy, especially in in when you have to pick a kicker, his guy would look at if they're having trouble scoring in the red zone. Excellent. Well, I love that. Uh, you're right, Vinatieri. Certainly deserves that nice stroll off in the sunset after probably the best career of any kicker. Talk about clutch kicks. Uh, but you're right. That was a real weak spot. It was it was kind of sad um, to see that happen last year. And I, I just didn't want to see him retire midseason. I wanted to see him get through the year. But um, potentially an upgrade to McLaughlin. Will that be the difference to get the Colts to the <laughs> AFC Championship game this year? You know, I was going to say with uh, Pittman and Patman, that, uh, you know, Rivers might pitter-patter his way down the field repeatedly <laughs> and, and get this team to the AFC Championship. But you put everything together. Uh, we've talked about this team for a little bit over 40 minutes. Uh, you still feeling good about uh, the Colts taking this division? Yeah. Uh, it, on, it all depends on how Phillip Rivers looks. He is the difference on this team. I know they added, we mentioned DeForest Buckner, Xavier Rhodes, a couple other people. But this is a quarterback-driven league. Uh, you need a quarterback to go far, and if Phillip Rivers has something left in this tank, this division is wide open and up for grabs. The Jaguars aren't aren't scaring anybody. Uh, the the Texans, Bill O'Brien's made some questionable decision after questionable decision, and uh, they do have a superstar quarterback, young quarterback in in Watson, but the the team keeps getting injured, especially J.J. Watt, and their defense is just. You can dissect them easily, and the Titans are look like a formidable foe. But um, I mean, I think the the Colts have everything, all the ingredients to be a team that wins 11 games, wins this division, and makes a run in the playoffs. And it all starts and ends with Philip Rivers. I agree. Well said. So we're gonna continue our AFC South coverage tomorrow. Santino and I will be back on to cover the Titans. And as we wrap up, we always like to mention uh, Joe Sarvati's favorite charity here at DFS Coach Talk. It's mambaon3.org. So feel free to check that out. Uh, thank you, as always, for all of your support. Santino, thank you for your excellent work today. It was a pleasure, as always, to be on with you. Can't wait to do it again tomorrow as we break down the Titans. So uh, everyone out there, thanks again for tuning in. And please come back again tomorrow as Santino and I tackle the Tennessee Titans. <laughs>